This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast is brought to you by Renthal and Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. On today's show, we're looking back at the final round of the 2022 World SPK season and season's drawn to a close. It feels like it only started yesterday, but... As ever, you just look forward to the next year as well. And a weekend in Phillip Island where we saw some of the best racing you can see, it always leaves you just ready for more. On today's pod, myself, Steve English, Gordon Ritchie as always, and we've got a special guest this week. We've got Carlo Valdi from Moto IT, one of the Italian journalists in the world SBK paddock and very well respected. And Carlo, it's great to have you on the pod. Thank you so much. I, I, will be, I am very happy to be here with you. Carlo will be with us for the first few minutes of the pod just to give an Italian perspective, Gordo, on the big story of 2022. There's no two ways about it. Ducati finally back to winning world championships. And obviously, after everything that's happened from the introduction of the V4R, it's been a long path to get to this point. But great to have Carlo on the pod. No, as indeed. And ultimately, because Carlo is Italian and understands uh, as well as everything that's going on in Italy with racing, he understands the mentality of the people better than anyone can. Um, so it's great to have him given his insight because we can talk about the racing side, but the human side is going to be much more Carlo's bag because he totally understands what the, what it means to Ducati. Carlo was buying you the beers and the wines this week over dinner. So, uh, Carlo, for some reason, this is the thank you Gordo's given you to join us on the pod. But when when you look at this season, the story right from the start of the year was Bautista back at Ducati. And I thought one of the 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 best points or the best lines that I heard all the way through was from my colleague Alex Raby when he said the redemption of Bautista and uh, Ducati getting back on top. But for you, what was what was your thoughts when you look at this season as a whole? Um, speaking about um, at the end of the season, yeah. Um, but, um, I, I prefer to start from the beginning because, uh, frankly speaking, I was sure about Bautista and Ducati. Because it was clear also with the Redding, Rinaldi, and Bassani, all the Ducati riders, they, <clears throat> they reached the podium and uh, some win. So, because the bike is really so strong. But the only one who can take this bike uh, to the limit is, was in this Alvaro Bautista. So, when I know he, he will be back in, in Ducati, also uh, thinking that they made some mistake, both the rider and the, and, the, and the manufacturer in 2019, so they will not repeat the same mistake. So we have the best bike, in my opinion, with one of the best rider, of course, uh, and with a big experience, they know how to not win <laughs> a championship, but now they know only how to win. And so I think is uh, my favorite was uh, Alvar. Obviously, Carlo, you are in a very different position than me and Gordo because uh, the only Italian that we know, Gordo, was basically had to order our pizza when we go to Mizano. But uh, for you, Carlo, you're in the Ducati garage a lot. You talk to a lot of the people behind the scenes and you've seen the work that goes into creating a bike like this because it's very clear for everyone, everyone when we watch the racing right now, Ray and Razgiri Oglu are right on the limit all of the time, but they're like this because the Ducati is such a good package. But when you go in and you talk to the engineers, when you talk to the team, what's their feeling about this season and the project? 
Uh, they say, um, um, also speaking with the Aruba manager, uh, Mr. Stefano Secconi, he says something very important. Finally, we, uh, how to say, uh, our potential give us some good result. Because they have a big potential also in the last year, but for a lot of reasons, they uh, don't win the championship. This year, I think they were able to, to optimize all, all, the, all what they have. And speaking about the bike, of course, uh, is, um, everything is because, technically speaking, is because of uh, Luigi Dallinia, Gigi Dallinia, because uh, he, he changed everything in Ducati, you know? When he arrived, we had the two-cylinder, Panigale V2, and so it changed completely. And uh, it started the four-cylinder, uh, created this V4. So technically, we have to say thank you to, to Dalinia and to Ducati, who believe in, uh, in them. When uh, Dalinia arrived, uh, Ducati was so low. So uh, we had a bigger problem in GP and in, uh, in Superbike. And this year, they, they win everything. <laughs> everything is possible to win. For you and for your website, to have a Ducati win MotoGP and World Superbikes is unprecedented, but the interest back home is huge because people are not a Bautista fan. They, you know, they might well be a Pecco fan because he is Italian, but they are Ducati to the core. It's something very strange in Italy because in Italy we don't have uh, Bautista or uh, I don't know the name of, of the, the Formula One uh, <laughs> rider. I don't follow the, the F1. But we have Ferrari and Ducati. So the people don't ask, who win? Uh, Bautista, not say, Ducati win? So, and that's why, if you remember, we have the problem with Valentino. Because Valentino <laughs> entered in Ducati and he is Valentino Rossi. So when the people say, oh, Ducati win, they say, no, wait, <laughs> wait a moment. So there was a big fight also for this. And so, yes, for us in Italy, it's completely different if uh, Kawasaki or Yamaha or whatever uh, win and if win Ducati. And uh, speaking about the rider, until now, uh, I cannot say Bautista is a Ducatista. Uh, but for example, Chad Davis, uh, he don't win any championship, but Bauti uh, sorry, Chad Davis is a Ducatista. I mean, with, with, uh, we say with a red heart. <laughs> Well, I think uh, Chaz would certainly bleed red after the last few years. And Gordo, for you as well, like listening to Cardo talk there about that love that Italians have for Ducati, we don't have anything like that really in the UK. We're, we have it where you might follow a rider, you might follow just the series. But when you go to Misano and you see the big crowd this year, we like Misano was really busy again this year. Imola hopefully on the calendar next year. It's it's great because it's like when Ferrari win, all of Italy get interested. And uh, after such a long wait, it means that much more. Yeah, it's a strange thing because there's so much British interest in Superbike, um, and there always was. Um, but it didn't really matter whether Cal Fogarty won on it, this bike or that bike, it didn't matter. Um, and it's because we don't have our own manufacturers at that top level anymore and haven't had for a very, very long time. That's changing, obviously, with Triumph and Supersport won a race this year. Um, so maybe people will start getting behind it a bit more in the UK. But it's, I think, at the end of the day, it's more of a general sport. We're used to having our guys winning, other guys winning. Our, in the past, our machines winning. And then uh, now it's everybody else. Triumph coming back, maybe there will be a wee change there. But I think... It's very true. You don't have that absolute diehard 
we nail our mass to one thing in Britain. I think people more it's more just like who's the best. They'll they'll laud the Italian guy as much as the British guy if he's winning. And it, and to be fair, the Italian fans are incredibly sporting when it comes to if someone shows that they're really good, they will they will worship them. It's just different when it comes to Ducati. You know, an Italian rider on a Ducati is the most difficult job in two wheel motorsport. Any of them. You look at how many good young riders have gone into Ducati and kind of been crushed by the experience because the expectation, it's not a religious thing, but it is, you know, it's not that quite that level, but it is absolutely, um, it's, it's more important for the, the manufacturer does well. And if the Italian rider doesn't do it, they turn on them quite quickly. In my experience, they don't, they don't last very long if they're not, uh, really at the top level. Um, but it's, it, it's an amazing thing for Ducati to win. 11 years is an awfully long time for a, factory that's put that much investment into it they didn't win it with the Panigale V2, a whole range of bikes over a series of years, it took building a V4 to get them to in a position to win it, could have did it in first year and then it fell apart and it's quite noticeable it's taken them another 2 or 3 years since then to get back, so you've had to get that magic again from Batista, but it's also very un-Italian to be as consistent as they've been all season I don't think even Italian people would say that they're the most consistent People that are very, quite emotional sometimes, up and down. This year, that's been like a, a ocean liner, just going from one destination to another. No messes, even when things go wrong. Like for example, at Magnicure, they all had a very angry for five minutes, and then they forgot about it. And the next race, they go again. It didn't burn away in the soul. It's forgotten about. It. And the same when when Batista crashed in Donington, it was like oh, it's okay, no problem. And I mean, I might, have, I might be having a bit of a lapse of memory here, but did Ducati have any technical problems that affected Batista this year? Like breakdowns in races, even in qualifying? I mean, they might have, but I cannot remember. Batista had a small crash on Friday here in Honda, didn't he? He ran out there. Nothing. It was just as if it, it just didn't affect him. Before that might have been nerves and stuff. What's amazed me this year is how solid it's been. Beginning, middle and end, they've been cool, calm, collected. And collected the World Championship because of it. Yeah, Miller Corner, obviously. Uh, Gordo, with changed hands. Yeah, no, sorry, I'm getting used to all that. To me, it's always <laughs> going to... Well, honestly, it's always going to be turn four. I don't know if it was even Honda when I first started coming here. I'm not sure. I think at this time of year, it's always going to be, oh, Jesus, I hope there's enough tire, tire temperature right now because this was an issue all the way through the weekend. But, Carlo, we've got you for another couple of minutes. Gordo has mentioned there about the respect that Italian fans can have for great riders. We have two of the very best in the world, Jonathan Ray, Toprak Razgadi Oglu, and every week they treat us to something special. And the Italian fans, they love this as well. Like we've seen it when Ray has been able to win at Mizano, he gets a big cheer. When Toprak goes anywhere around the world, he gets a big cheer. And um, for you, when you look at these these two guys, it's it's always good. Like and me and Gordo have talked about Charlie as well on the pod that so many times you think we are looking at something really special in world superbikes right now. Because this is the, the, the how to say, this is the superbike. I mean, uh, in superbike, we don't have uh, usually all the fans, the Italian, but I think also the other, from other nationality. Um, we like <coughs> the, 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 what we see on the track. We like the bike. Uh, okay, we are Italian, but 
we cannot say uh, Jonathan Ray is not uh, terrible, <laughs> either a fantastic champion. The same is for uh, Toprak. Uh, we like to see the champion. And this year we have three, of course, Bautista, Johnny and, and Toprak. So um, the, the real, uh, my opinion is that uh, the, the, the fan of the superbike are mostly uh, motorcyclists and uh, motorcyclists like the bike, like the, 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 the race, and they don't take care if he's North Island or Italian or what else. Of course, if he's Ducati, we say before, is something special, but uh, we love also Toprak. Of course, he's uh, fantastic. And, uh, and Johnny, that uh, is the, the best, looking at the result, is the best rider in the, in the history of the superbike. So it's important for us to, to see what happened in the track and to enjoy. That's great. Thanks for joining us, Carlo. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you to you. Thank you. We're going to take a break on the Paddock Pass podcast. When we come back, we'll look back at all the action from Phillip Island. Fly Racing introduces the new FL2 Glove. With molded hard knuckle protection, this race-inspired glove is equipped with palm and gauntlet sliders and touchscreen-compatible fingers. Available in three colors and sizes from small to triple X, the Fly Racing FL2 glove is the perfect answer at the perfect price. Check out flyracing.com to see more. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. Gordo, you've known Carlo a long time. It's always great to chat to him, but really good to have him on the pod. Yeah, fantastic. It's uh, great to have another insight uh, and another viewpoint. Um, Carlo's been around the motorcycle, I'll just say, for a very long time. He's been a journalist for well over a decade now, maybe 15 years, actually. Um, so there's not a lot of things that Carlo doesn't understand about the motorcycling world in general and, and not just racing. Uh, so when you get an insight from someone like that, with that experience and that passion, he's, you know, he's, he's not a teenager, but his passion for racing is still immense. His ability to work hard is incredible. Um, so to have somebody like that explain it when, it, when an Italian team wins the championship, I think is, uh, no, we were very lucky to catch him today at the right point, the right time. Obviously enough, we've always been lucky to catch you on the pod, Gordo. And I, I'm not a quick mover. It's easy to catch me. <laughs> well, this year has been something special, Gordo, and it's a continuation of the last few years, really. We've been able to see great racing all the way through, but I don't think I've ever seen a weekend like what we had in Phillip Island. Uh, you mean the weather? <laughs> I mean, especially mean the weather. Oh, no, I've had a few of them, mate. No, 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 I've had a few. I've been in Phillip Island where there, you could have had a small school swimming meeting going on in some of the corners and one of the races got cancelled. We came here in April... 2000. 2001, I think it might have been. Might have been 2001. Anyway, um, but one of the races got cancelled because you just couldn't race. We had one superbike race, I think, and one super sport race. We managed to fight through them and then that was it. Uh, we've been in Qatar when we've had the worst weather you imagine. What was the problem this weekend was the fact that it was cold, really quite cold. Amazingly, the track temperature seemed to hold up enough to let the tyres still do their work. You know, it wasn't that 15 degrees you get if you go in Aragon testing in the winter sometimes. 
um, as far as I remember any of the sessions. Yeah, it was interesting chatting to the riders because even though track temperature was then around 25, 26 degrees, we have a really cold wind blowing in. They did all say the same thing, that because you put so much load through the tyre around here, you keep the heat. The core heat stays, so it actually wasn't as bad as they expected. Yes, only on the left-hand side especially. The right-hand side, it may have been even trickier just because of the, the wind cools the tyres down as well as the, the, the cold track surface. Um, but yeah, they brought some middle to harder tyres, um, generally, uh, for everything. Um, and that was, you know, Johnny praised that because he said that he thought it was, the tyres were designed to last, therefore you could race all races. He said, going round and, um, you know, the pace they were at the end in race two, he was surprised at. Um, but happily, other riders just wanted the tyres that work better with their bike, which is generally softer. Top Rack, Alvaro, they wanted softer tyres. Um, but, End of the day, we had great racing anyway. It didn't matter. No one was complaining about it. There wasn't, didn't seem to be any great tyre issues for people. Yes, you use them up here. But um, for once, we're not talking about tyres after the event saying what happened because this is such a tough place on tyres. But cold, yeah, the weather here has been mental. You never know when it's going to rain. When you think it's going to rain, it's, it's, the sun comes out. And when you think it's going to, you know, the opposite. It's just horrible. It's been horrible. On Saturday for race one, we had a big shower just beforehand. No one knew what to expect. But I said on the commentary, there's good drying weather out there. And it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek. But as it was, it was great drying weather out there. It was interesting that we had Troy Bayless on the grid being interviewed by Anthony Nelson. And Troy said, within seven or eight laps, we're going to be full dry around here. And on lap seven, that was the optimum time to pit. And uh, it was such a knife edge for the riders, such a big challenge. But when you talk to them afterwards, they were all quite accepting of the fact that to make the right call was almost impossible. And it it does come down to the rider, but... Why don't you explain the way that that decision's made during the course of a race? Um, so, some people do it differently from others. Uh, Jonathan said that he was master of his own destiny. He told his team, I am going to signal you and I'll come in the next lap. Be ready. Uh, top rack was the same, but it didn't quite work out properly for him. They lost some time in the pits uh, just because of a sticky wheel going in and out, he said. Um, there's a limit on the time. You don't have to go crazy with your uh, pit stops in Superbike because there's a time that you had given in this race, it was one minute and three seconds to get in, get your wheels changed and then cross the line back out from pit lane to the active track again. Um, and everybody get, aims to do that exactly on one minute and three. Anybody that transgresses gets a penalty. Uh, but if you're, uh, if you're under that, if you're over that time only just, then that's fine. Um, but the strategy is, it depends on the team, but Johnny definitely gave a signal, came in. Alex Lowe's teammate same idea, he was going to signal, stayed out one lap too late and ended up paying a degree of a price for that. The two best riders for coming in were Jonathan and Toprak. They were the first of the top four to do so and they proved to be right. But I think Toprak just followed, just followed Johnny thinking, well, you know, he's probably going to be the guy to beat in these conditions, just followed him in. Um, so it, it always adds a level of, of, of kind of stress to things. But the people who've planned best... I know that there is a balance between coming in too early and coming in too late. Generally, those that come in early, as long as the conditions stay the way they were or the, the way they were going to make them come in, i.e. drying out, oh, time to go for dry tyres, uh, generally the ones that are successful. But we've seen some weird results over the years when people change it. Uh, I mean, Kyle Smith led the race for a lap. 
you know, which was fantastic. Um, so you see all these changes and you think, well, if he's coming in, he's never going to get back in contention. But because everybody has more or less the same time, you, they come out and then everything balances out. If anybody been able to stay out on wets the whole time, no way. You just wouldn't be able to do it. I've got a question for you, Gordo. Put your general knowledge to the test. There's been eight riders on the Pettuccini bike this season. Can you name them all? Uh, well, from this race, there was uh, Smith. Uh, in Argentina, was Gutierrez. Uh, Smith was also the previous round in Indonesia. Leon Haslam did three or four. Loris Cresson started the year. Ryan Vickers was a one-off. Marco Salorza rode one race. Isaac Vinales, I can't remember which race, but he did it, and Alessandro Del Bianco. But I wrote all these things down yesterday. I tell you what, though, you still have to remember it, Gordo. You were close, though, because uh, Gutierrez did the double header in the Iberian rounds. Yeah, no, yes, that's right, because it was uh, Solorza that did the Argentina. Yeah, exactly. But it was nice to see Kyle have a good outing in Indonesia in the free practice session he was able to do well and then lead the race ended up staying out all the way through the race in the wet tyres best results of the season for Pettuccini the gamble paid off for him Scott Redding on the other hand stayed out way too long almost would have been better off just sticking it out to the end like Smith as it was the Sunday in uh, Phillip Island went much better for Reading and for BMW. They ended up finishing fourth in the World Championship by, I think it was a solitary point ahead of Honda. But uh, for BMW to come away without the wooden spoon, there was probably a lot of uh, a lot of egg in the face of a few people just for uh, writing them off. And I, I certainly didn't think coming to this round that they were going to be able to do that. Yeah, we had the great BMW discussion at the beginning of the season, as I remember, you know, the first few races, uh, how the, the the stuff wasn't there in the bike and everything else. Now, we've seen them have to go to the super concessions like Honda to fix or start to fix one of their fundamental problems, which is the chassis is so strong because it's also got a, it's the same chassis on some of the road bikes, but they're set up in big road bikes, which then get panniers and loads of other stuff bolted onto them. So they have to be strong and big and, and deal with normal road situations more than some of the other truly track-focused chassis. So that's something to bear in mind with the BMW. But yeah, I think that ultimately the, the, the resources of BMW, kind of like what Carlo was talking about earlier with Ducati, you know, the potential is there. I just don't see how the potential is not there. Putting it all in one place at one time, well, we know we can do that. They've had podiums, we've seen them amazing results considering the next weekend was whatever and the disaster as they, you know, as Scott Redding talks about the first round, the disaster, um, people made their mind up on that, I think, which was a mistake. Um, You've got to see how things are over the season. The Honda... Just as the Honda got new parts this year, it ended up having to change riders because Lacona got hurt. So you need everything to, to work together, to mesh together. That that bike's got great potential. The problem is, and it's still the problem, and hopefully they'll fix it for next year if they're bringing a new model, is that the engine is far too peaky. They're still going for power over everything else, which you do not need, need for 90% of the lap time. The Ducati, the, the BMW is a fast motorcycle when you get down the straight and you get it wound up and everything else. It's, it's always in, in, in among the top top speed things. But everywhere else, it's a handful. So if you can't get the engine to behave itself, you can't get the mechanical grip and traction, you can't get the throttle in their hand as a mechanical thing, as what the riders always want, then when you've done all that, you got it right, then you start using the electronics to finesse it and get it to go 22 laps, etc., you sh- they are still masking 
fundamental. The engine spins up too quickly, problems, and it's too peaky, problems, with electronics and setup and everything else. And that's what they need to... They, going for top power doesn't work. It's not a car, as as was said to, by Reading yesterday. It's not a car. You, you, a car needs as much power as you can get, and then because it sits in the same plane, basically, you can then use it to control. A motorbike is dynamic all the time. Even going down the main street, it's dynamic. Obviously enough, Gordo, this was Eugene Laverty's last race. So yeah. as we're talking about BMW, we uh, we better mention Norge as well. Obviously, he's in a Melbourne Hospital pelvic injury after ending his career with a big crash at Term 1. So no luck for Norge in his final races of his career. But it would be remiss not to, not to talk about him because he's a rider that's been in this paddock a long time. He could easily have won three world championships, two in the super sport, one in the super bike class. As it is... It's been a it's been a what if story over the last number of years. From yeah, it's a it's there's no such thing as an unlucky rider, but the, but when you look at Eugene's career, there is because I think he's one of the most talented riders that's actually got and he's had a lot of success, but he's actually had the least opportunities through his career. Consistency. How many times have teams gone a bit wrong on him in the, in the recent past? How many times has he had? arrived in a, in a project that's already got two or three other people involved and he's had to fight his way in. Um, when he went to MotoGP, he didn't get the best possible bikes. You know, he didn't go there getting a factory ride or anything, so it was obviously going to be incredibly hard. That put him in the back foot when he came here. He had to rebuild to come back here. But you see the talent of the guy, the sheer ability to ride, the way he always tries to understand the bike and give his input. Um, the guy is... Very unlucky with some of the things that have happened and, and everybody was kind of heartbroken for him yesterday when we saw that he's the planned press conference we're going to have after all the, the top six stuff was finished to say goodbye and ask questions to, to Eugene and, and basically draw a happy line underneath it. Even that got spoiled by just bad luck. Um, and you've got to feel for the guy and Pippa, his missus and all his family because... He's had some great opportunities, but to me, 99% of them have always been just at the wrong time. And when he did get good opportunities and got beat, he just kind of got beat by a sliver, you know. Uh, in, if he'd have stayed, some argue that if he'd have stayed in Superbike and never tried to go to GP, things would have been different. Well, you can't predict these things. You can't say that's for, for sure. Um, but, yeah, he, he's and he's a top fella. What more can you say? He's also a lovely bloke. He's a really nice guy. And he never, he'll complain about someone that he can see needs fixing, but he doesn't moan about his own lot in life at all. He's the most easygoing guy in the world. He's always looking forward and looking for the next thing. And I think he's, he's meant, because of that mentality, because of the experience, and because he's still a sharp rider, he will really help that new, you know, now that he's joining in the management and ownership side of that team. I think he should be a great asset. They should lean on him. Um, because he's got, you can't waste all that experience. Look at how the difference that Chaz has made to some of the, the Ducati stuff, simply by you know being a current rider that's just stopped. You know that's got a, there's, there's a big value to that. So when Eugene's okay, um, and I haven't had an update since one o'clock this morning. To be honest, I haven't heard any more since one o'clock this morning. So um, yeah, he's obviously got an injury, but hopefully uh, it's, it'll be sorted out quite quickly. We're going to take another break on the Paddock Pass podcast, but uh, just before we do, we've got an interview with Paddy Yamaha's team manager, Paul Denning. This was recorded at Indonesia, in Indonesia, a couple of weeks ago. So let's have a listen to Paul's assessment of Yamaha's season and uh, his thoughts on Toprak and Andrea Locatelli.
Renthal Street Clip-On Handlebars are premium race-spec clip-ons available in nine different options, two different offsets, and six different diameters, all developed in collaboration with top-level race teams. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Paul Denning joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Paul, this has been a really successful year for World Superbikes. We've been able to see a lot of interest in the championship, whether it's from the racing we've seen on track, three different riders, three different manufacturers up at the front all the way through the year. It does seem that there's a bit of a wave of momentum for the championship as a whole right now. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I think World Superbike's done a couple of things over the last couple of years really well. Um, number one has been the sort of stabilisation of the rules has meant that uh, step by step all the manufacturers have been able to get to a competitive point and we've seen not only the top three in the championship but also Honda and BMW improve a lot uh, this year and uh, finish on the podium um, and be close to the uh, winning pace um, but equally I think with crowds coming back to live sport um, in general but in World Superbike we've seen really big increases in live attendance uh, across the course of this year and as the message spreads uh, about the unique uh, aspect of World Superbike which is really its, its uh, accessibility and the fact that if you buy a ticket for the race you're in the paddock uh, you know you're next to the paddock show which has been a huge uh, success and really gives a lot of integration and and uh, feel good and party kind of atmosphere really um, uh, for the fans and riders to uh, celebrate together um, you know you can be outside the hospitalities and get autographs with Jonathan with Top Rack with Alvaro and, and, and the other stars and I think also the rivalry at the front is um, I think in any sport you need to care who wins you know I mean I think one of the reasons why football is so uh, universally popular is the tribalism and that kind of uh, uh, you know it's not a question of it being important who wins it's the life or death almost who kind of wins and um, I think in uh, you know we've got a lot of characters in World Superbike at the moment uh, who are respectful of each other but basically when they're out on track just absolutely tear chunks out of each other and aren't adverse to saying what they think about each other in negative ways as well as positive um, and uh, I think those rivalries, you know, we've seen armies of uh, Top Rec fans, armies of Alvaro fans coming in from Spain and also Jonathan's uh, guys always uh, vocal and, um, you know, that's important and maybe that's missing a little bit by comparison anyway in MotoGP at the moment. So um, whilst the championship perhaps commercially could always still do better from a sponsorship point of view um, the awareness this year the visibility the amount of people following the championship and perhaps more importantly the feedback from those people whether it's via social media or our guests at the races um, is generally going the right direction yeah. just from a team perspective then if you talk about sponsor acquisition and trying to bring more in when you get to this stage of the season obviously your budget's mostly in place for next year but are you always trying to add an extra sponsor or are you looking to add extra X amount of cash for the season? Well, first of all, I mean, it let's rephrase that to kind of it probably being in place for next year to say it should be in place for next year, but I'm not, unfortunately, it's not quite the case. And, um, you know, I think uh, that's one area where World Superbike still needs to catch up is, is the commerciality um, of it. You know, sponsorships are extremely good value in terms of return on investment uh, for, for companies and brands um, in WSB. Uh, and of course the access that the, whether it's customers or staff and uh, uh, clients can can get is uh, is superb but um, 
you know it's very very simple in racing it you know uh, speed costs money now fast you want to go so if you want to employ the best staff more staff the best riders uh, you know make sure the team is as well organized as it can be uh, everything costs uh, you know, more money year on year um, and obviously developing a sponsorship roster uh, and a commercial partnership base to follow that uh, is a challenge and um, however what we've already touched on the improvements in world superbike and the appreciation that it's getting globally um, you know, means that that should follow on obviously we talk to our riders an awful lot about the depth of field that we have here 12, 13, 14 real top class riders mm. but manufacturers are the same we've got five manufacturers all of them getting closer and closer especially now Honda and BMW have made a step this year from your perspective like riders always talk about how difficult it is to try and get into say the top nine in the Super Bowl race how difficult is it to stay at the front like you have done this year with uh, Top Rack still second in the championship as we record this winning races yeah I mean it's uh, first of all it's there's no question we've got you know we're blessed with a rider with just a, you know ridiculous levels of natural talent and uh, the ability to uh, turn problem situations into opportunities um, so for sure in top rack you know we are as I say we're blessed with a rider that's perhaps over delivering um, that said Yamaha have done a great job continuing to develop the bike um, and it is tough I mean you know, looking at Locatelli 2020 World Supersport Champion won nearly every race um, and uh, fourth in the championship last year he's going faster this year everywhere than he did last year on the same tyres and with effectively the same bike a developed bike but the same bike um, and he's going a whole heap quicker everywhere we've been big big chunks but unfortunately so is the rest of the field and with the improvements that uh, Honda, BMW um, Ducati certainly have made this year um, it's challenging to achieve the same result and uh, he was down in the dumps with I think it was an 8th place finish in race 2 in Argentina I think he beat Scott Redding on the BMW passed him with a couple of laps to go and finished you know, literally on the rear axle of um, the two factory HRC Hondas ridden by Laquona and Vierge and I think then Rinaldi was the next bike up the road on the factory Ducati and um, none of these guys excuse my language are shit you know they're high high quality riders and there's absolutely no uh, way that it's ever going to be easy to beat these lads you know so um, essentially that's uh, what we have to remember that the level of the competition is supposed to be tough it's going to continue to become more tough and as a rider and as a team and as a manufacturer we need to keep raising our own level to go with them what's tougher Paul to, to keep your concentration when top rack's draped around you when you're doing this interview or just to, to keep at the front uh, definitely tougher to keep at the front yeah you know just um, yeah putting up with top rack's easy it's just like a child who's got the attention span of a gnat really so it's uh, fairly uh, fairly standard stuff but um, no just it's a consistent pressure on the commercial side on the operational side um, the technical side we're lucky as the official team is largely handled by Yamaha but sort of keeping the, com- the communication and priority flow and I would, hes- I would hesitate ever to say keeping the pressure on Yamaha because they pressurise themselves to uh, deliver the best package possible um, but a- as a combination across all the factors that you need for success it's, it's, uh, it's not easy but it's not supposed to be easy and um, 
one of the things we've seen this year, and there's been obviously a lot of discussion about, um, you know, should there be a, a parity, more parity between the bikes in terms of a, a total bike and rider weight limit, as there is in so many motorsports from Formula One down to World Super Sport 300, World Super Sport 600, etc. Um, those are all valid discussions, but uh, what World Superbike has done very, very well over the last few years is to have a technical regulation that allows a 45,000 euro base motorcycle to compete against a 15,000 euro base motorcycle and then both to be at a decent level. Um, but it's, uh, it, that is going to be, I think, one of the bigger continual challenges for the championship is to keep that performance parity um, because the philosophy... It's easy to say, well, Yamaha, I'm making you bike, Kawasaki, I'm making you bike. I mean, it's a diff- with the marketplace being as relatively small as it is now for super sport machines of 1,000cc, uh, really the sales avenue for those bikes is pretty much exclusively track day riders and racing riders only um, so the numbers are tiny compared to what it used to be sort of back in the 90s when uh, you know going down the shops on the fireblade was what you did um, so keeping that kind of parity of performance as the sort of European manufacturers like BMW and Ducati who are much smaller volume and can react sort of every two years and almost homologate a new model um, and indeed the manufacturers like Kawasaki and BMW are only here and aren't investing in MotoGP um, you've got to remember the investments that Honda and Yamaha etc are making in MotoGP so it's a it's a tough one and I see that as uh, one of the biggest challenges going forward is going to be keep it the championships in a really good spot right now um, but as soon as it becomes a championship won by technical means rather than the authentic gladiatorial kind of battles we've seen over the last couple of years then I think it runs the risk of losing interest as quickly as it's gained it so uh, that's what we'd like to see is to just ensure that uh, a good team with a decent bike and a good rider has an opportunity to fight at the front yeah because that's one of the big things that everyone inside the media centre inside the paddock has talked a lot about this year just that there is the the level of interest we have now but no one's taking anything away from Ducati they've built a great bike the team's working well Bautista's riding well but it's also been pretty apparent when you look at the second and third Ducatis that they're always able to, to really win their battles as well that shows you the strength of the package and it is a case of trying to figure out some way for next season to try and bring everyone a, a little bit more on par yeah and I think the I mean Alvaro's ridden a his best season ever on a racing motorcycle uh, he won that's maybe an unfair thing to say actually because right at the start of his career he won the 125cc world championship and I think he won more races than any riders ever won I think I think he won more races than Valentino when he won his 125 world championship so yeah the guy's got pedigree he's got history um, and he's just uh, cut out the mistakes this year that have uh, perhaps um, been there in the past and he's done an absolutely stunning job um, Ignoring Alvaro completely, the um, let's just say more generally, ensuring a reasonable parity of performance between the complete packages on the track, bearing in mind their initial cost base and uh, uh, all the other factors that go into it, uh, means that a couple of tweaks, let's call it, to the regulations are probably in order. I think the 
without any question the uh, total bike and rider weight package will be introduced for 2024 um, that was already discussed between the FIM and uh, the manufacturers and uh, that agreement I think was in place uh, but maybe there's a thought process after this year that it could be introduced a year early and as you can imagine I'd support that I think every other manufacturer apart from the red one would also support that but that's sport isn't it just one last question then to finish up on as well Paul obviously Alvaro's a former present rider for you in MotoGP with Suzuki yeah. you've got Top Rack now how do those two compare and where does Top Rack stack up do you think compared to everyone else that's a slightly unfair question because um, I think that because it would sound it sounds dismissive of Alvaro if I'd say that Top Rack is just at a different level than almost any rider we've had on our bike is um, level of natural ability uh, and fighting ability and in general you know the lack of mistakes he was sort of he kind of almost you know talked himself into a mistake in Argentina I think the first race mistake he's made for two years or something so when you consider that's all you really need to know that you know the level of aggression he rides at and the chances he takes the fact that he almost never makes a mistake almost never falls off it's just a different level uh, different level and um, uh, when he first joined us I remember Jonathan saying you know Top Rack um, won the first race he, he ever rode for us in Phillip Island and had a DNF in the second one and I remember Jonathan after Phillip Island saying you know I was quite pleased to see that because Top Rack worries me more than any of the other guys and um, we didn't really see over the course of 2020 the full extent of what Jonathan was sort of saying he was worried about um, but as he's developed as a uh, an athlete um, with a bit of guidance and a bit of support but you know he is now all that raw talent was there but he's now a really rounded package and uh, no disrespect to any other rider but um, yeah he's uh, out of this world and whether he ends up staying on uh, uh, our Yamaha in 2024 in World Superbike or uh, a Yamaha in um, MotoGP whilst he's a free agent of course from the end of 23 onwards it's absolutely Yamaha's intention to retain him because uh, riders like that come along literally once in a lifetime and um, uh, and he's a special human being as well but as a rider he's uh, uh, incredible to you just know you've always got a chance when he's on the bike just one quick follow up to that as well you talk about top racks for all talent and now the full package same could be said for the team as well because Crescent over the last few years they've consistently found a little bit extra from everyone a few people come in and made the, the little difference that it takes to, to be right at the front of the field yeah I think when we started the Yamaha project you know we were a privateer World Superbike team but with good support from Suzuki um, but as you know I think Yamaha came back in 2016 and us becoming an official team with Yamaha just thought we were going to run away and hide with Sylvan and uh, Alex Lowe's on the bikes and uh, you know it really wasn't that easy um, but the positive is that sort of since a difficult start in 2016 the incremental improvement year on year uh, is, is never taken a sort of a step backwards you could argue this year that if Alvaro wraps up the championship here or in um, Phillip Island then in terms of raw result it's uh, you know a step backwards because we couldn't better possibly what we achieved last year um, but overall the team has taken another step forward this year operationally and, uh, um, and every day is a school day you know you kind of learn uh, not to micromanage people uh, put the right people in the right places and um, you know the team's developed uh, very healthily 
but uh, that sits alongside Yamaha doing a great job with the bike step by step as well um, but uh, you know with complete respect to Yamaha and complete respect to my own team uh, you know Top Rex made the difference and uh, it takes a special rider in uh, uh, or a special driver with its motorsports to sometimes make that difference and um, we've certainly experienced that and it's been a yeah, uh, it's been a, a, a pleasure to sort of be able to respond to that level of talent and support him well enough to allow him to keep him in races. That's great. Thanks for joining us, Paul. Very welcome. Thank you. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast brought to you by Fly Racing and Renthal Street. Gordo, we've uh, gone around the houses a little bit over the course of the pod so far. Obviously, we had Carlo Baldi joining us for uh, a discussion about Ducati and uh, the feelings in Italy. We've had a little bit of a chat about BMW. But uh, let's get to let's get to the big stuff from this weekend in Australia. Alvaro Bautista in the Super Pole race. That was a brave decision to go out there on the slick tires. It was, and even his team thought he was a bit mad. But he said, "No, no, I've decided I'm going to do it because he said because of all his experience he's got here, he's ridden in lots of iffy conditions, um, and he knew that the track was going to dry, and he knew the fuel he would get. He did slightly regret it when he went straight out." Because he said he went out behind, I think, Rinaldi. And all of a sudden, he said, all of a sudden, there was a poof, big puffs of water coming off and rivers are running across the track in some places. And he's thinking, mm, maybe that was a mistake. But, I mean, as it proved, it was absolutely the right decision. Um, and once, even though his settings weren't correct, um, one, you know, the actual bike settings, because he had slicks, he could actually just kind of measure his passes. You can see him taking time to make sure the pass on top rack or any of the other top riders was going to be solid and he wouldn't be able to come back on him. He had time to do that. It was a wee masterclass in experience and skill. Don't forget how much confidence and skill you have to have to ride slicks on even a slightly damp track, especially those parts where there's water. But I thought it was interesting, Gordo, because on Saturday after the first race of the weekend, we were chatting to Alex Lowe's after he finished on the podium and we asked him about going out on intermediate tyres. And he said, Do you know what? You couldn't have used them in race one. It was too wet. And then it dried so quickly, but you had to survive those first few laps. So they're out there on a wet front, intermediate rear. And Alvaro's out there, slick, slick. And uh, he was nowhere those first few laps, as you'd expect. But once he was within 10 seconds with, I think, six laps to go, you did think, yeah, he's going to be able to do this just because the other guys were going to be limited with their ultimate potential and Alvaro was only going to get faster and faster. Yeah, I mean, if you look to the conditions, the, the cocktail of tyres that they fitted with the front wet, because you really need security from the front and, and when it's remotely wet, but you can take more liberties with the rear, just the physics of a motorbike. It, you know, a rear end slide is a lot easier to catch than a front end slide. So the intermediates were the perfect choice. It was actually, I described it yesterday as the same choice. Because so many riders said that was a choice to go on. That's why most of them, virtually all of them, went on it. Um, so, yeah, but Batista just you know a bit better than everybody else, even his team. That's pretty good going. So, for for anybody out there that might be daft enough to think, oh, well, he doesn't deserve a championship and his bike's too fast and all that stuff. And, yeah, there might be elements to that. That's been part of other world championship wins. The wee man's done not put a foot wrong this year, hardly at all. Um, and he really showed his championship yesterday. You know, and, and winning the last race of the year, okay, it might have been different if they, we'd gone to full distance and we didn't have a red flag. But the wee man showed all his capabilities and qualities yesterday. What did you think of race two? Because 
Alvaro, once the the tire started to drop for other guys, and he and he was still able to get that drive grip in the last corner. That's where we saw a little bit of an advantage on the start finish straight. But it was more just about how difficult it was going to be to overtake him because he was so slow in certain sections because all he needed was track position. And we saw that in the run down in towards turn two in particular. Ray was all over him in that sector but couldn't really do anything about it. Down in towards turn four it was a bit similar. You trip over him mid-corner but not in a position where you could really make the move. Yeah, that would have been the challenge for Johnny at the end. But um, you saw Johnny's disappointment when the red flag came out because he and he and we spoke about it afterwards. He had tire. He said he was amazed how much tire he had left. Um, at one stage, it looked as if he was going to drop off the inevitable kind of two thirds distance, or you know half to two thirds distance. That's when Bautista, if he's got tire, just goes. Um, it's the canny thing to do. Um, and we thought, oh, maybe Johnny's going to lose this year because he dro- did drop off a little bit and you can see him on a couple of slides. But he was right back on it again. Passing would have been a difficult thing, especially given the nature of Phillip Island. However, if Johnny had managed to stick with him and had felt he had tyre, that's a you can do several lines into the final curve. It would have been a case of making sure Batista was in such a disadvantageous position out the very last part of the very last corner that the power that he would obviously have to shoot past Jonathan couldn't be applied early enough to do the job. And that would have been, I mean, I'd love to have seen that. What a finale that would have been. It would have been just like the opening race of the year, last corner in Aragon, and Ray just putting it down the inside. I thought one of the other big things, obviously, we talk a lot about Top Rack. We, we talk a lot about him all the way through the season. This was a tougher weekend for him, but still comes away with a decent return for, on Saturday, on Friday, a very disappointed Top Rack. We haven't seen him like that. But I want to just talk about Ray's teammate, Alex Lowe, as well, because this was a really good weekend by him. Two podiums, had the pace to win. If it was a wet race or a dry race on the opening race of the weekend, as it was, the pit stops didn't work out for him. But this was, again, just like Phillip Island in 2020, a really good weekend for him. He's certainly going to be feeling pretty confident now that we're back-to-back in PI. Oh, absolutely. He's definitely got a wee connection with the place. Him and his bike. Obviously, Jonathan's won a load of races. I think Haslam won a race here. Lowe's won a race in his first weekend at Kawasaki Rider. There's definitely an Alex connection here, so don't let it underlie that. But considering he had a pretty bad Mandalika, they set up and everyone just didn't let him do what he wanted to do. But when you look at him from, as he keeps saying, and he's absolutely right when you look at the stats, from halfway through the season after the summer break, with that hot weather test he did in uh, Catalonia um, and he was quite ill in Most he scored badly was quite ill retired from one race then he had the 8 hour so he had a lot to get over but once he did and came back in the second half of the season he's been going up and up and up and he's been unlucky he's been off podium but anybody who displaces any of those top 3 guys in a podium this year is earning their money and I think Alex is is building in confidence the, t- the two sides of the garage seem to be working better together um, and that has having obvious benefits to Alex. So, if he gets the bike the way he wants, he's shown he's absolutely capable of running with those other guys. I mean, he's not Jonathan, he's not Toprak, and he's not Alvaro, but neither is Rinaldi or Locatelli or anybody else. They could be, they've still got the potential to develop. Um, but yeah, Alex is in a good place. I think he will be absolutely champing at the bit to come back here, especially if we get a bit of more settled weather. I think what's interesting is, obviously, we know how good Johnny is, six times a world champion. He's got all those super poles now as well, so good over a single lap. But for the second half of the year, there's been nothing to choose between 
rain lows over that single lap pace. That bodes well for Kawasaki. Shows both riders can get the most out of that package for a single lap. Obviously, Ray over the course of a race, there's a reason he's a six-time world champion. There's a reason he's got what 118, 119 wins at this stage. So for um, for Kawasaki, it bodes well that they're making that progress with both bikes. And I think, like you said, from that second half of the season onwards, it's been really good. And I think Lowe's was one of the riders that he'd ride off Indonesia. And he'd say, if it's a really good weekend for you, it's great. You've done well. You've done your job. You've you've gotten things done. But if it's a bad weekend, there's a lot of factors going to that. That's why he was keen to get straight to PI. And uh, he'll pretty much be straight to Hareth for a test now as well. Because uh, Kawasaki, one of the teams testing in about 10 days' time to get ready for next season. And it's a short winter. And this is where it's really important for riders to be injury-free coming off this uh, end of season. And I think that's where, for most guys, getting through the last two rounds, Indonesia with the tricky track conditions, Phillip Island with the wet. This was a weekend where you could easily trip over yourself and cost yourself next season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a very, very unusual year to finish in uh, now late November, to be honest. It's, we're beyond the midpoint in November. Um, very unusual. Um, and now that's us back next year to the kind of usual start off in Australia the last weekend in February. 12 weeks, as someone said it to me, and I was like, what? 12? 15 is what I've been told, Gordo. It probably is. That's why I said 12, but it's it's too blooming close anyway. It's not long till we're, we're here. Um, there's an awful lot, as you say, can go wrong in these final two rounds to mess it up, which is unusual. Normally, you'd have the winter to recover. People get surgeries in the winter to recover. And yeah, 15 weeks, whether it's 12, 15 or whatever, that's still a reasonable time. But it's it's not long when you're, when when you're everybody's based in Europe. And the races are in Australia, so they'll be they're getting back to do, they're getting sorted to do, the Christmas holidays, and then getting ready to go again. And obviously, a few teams and, and other uh, the organisers and so on have left some stuff here because this is where we're starting again. There's no point bringing it all back. Yeah, I was told that there's over 400 kilos of freight that usually would be flown back to Europe that's been left here just for the opening round. Yeah, because it's sensible. If you don't need it for winter testing, people run quite a sparse um, garage setup in the winter. They take what they need in a few boards to show their sponsors, but they don't have the full kit. You know, they might do if it's a, a local race, but you don't need to take everything back, especially those specialised things that are lighter that are taken on a long haul instead of the regular big heavy thing that's easy to go in the back of the truck. A lot of teams have got doublers of things that only go to the long hauls because it's half the weight. And it, But as long as you don't use it all the time, it'll last you as long as the other one. So there's lots of little... I've done a couple of logistics stories the last couple of years, and this one was definitely the biggest deal. Um, but there's a lot of people sending stuff back privately. You know, it's not... We're not on the same... Everything is done all together going back as it was coming out, it will be after the two races at the end and the first two races at the end of next year. So that's when the whole kind of military operation for the whole paddock will kick in to bring the stuff back to Europe to then do the bulk of the season. Well, I have a nice little segue for you then, Gordo. It's 77 days until the freight will be sent out to Australia. The bikes will be sent out for round one. Number 77, Tommy Agador. What a season from him this year. I mean, the greatest World Superbowl season, season ever. And that includes two complete no scores by a moment of madness of him feigning injury in the gravel uh, when he was nerfed off at, uh, at Most in race one. He then got banned from race two because he obviously simulated the injury to try and get the race red flagged. Not his greatest moment, but every other aspect of his season and Tinkata, 
the greatest super sport team there's ever been and a completely different manufacturer have shown their two colours again and they've even managed to introduce a whole new ecological uh, element to their future. You know, they're talking about uh, doing all this stuff with biofuels, their fairings are now partly plant-based. All those things that are going to be required in the future, probably by law, if not by necessity, um, they're already on. So they're not just doing the racing, but they're knocking out of the park. Agatha is the reason why, Yam, you know, we didn't have a Yamaha one in the championship this year. We had a Tenkata Agatha winning the championship because there's lots of Yamahas. Evan Bross have won championships and they didn't win this year. You know, it, it, it's their rider's very good, but he's not Agatha. And Agatha just got a special connection with that. Well, let's see if he translates that into Superbike. There's no reason why he couldn't because other riders have done it to a degree, but it's a different beast. A Superbike's a different beast, even though it's a Yamaha. But uh, even Top Rack yesterday said that the the difference between the six hundred Yamaha and the thousand Yamaha, because of the way the feel is, and the th- is it not is maybe not as big as it would be changing manufacturers. Yeah, we've seen that with Andrea Locatelli. Whenever he jumped onto the super bike, he could still ride it like a super sport bike. And I'm interested to see how Agard goes. I'm interested to see how Brad Ray goes. Rebby Gardner comes in. Uh, Balda's obviously going to be on the, the GMT bike as well. So there's six really top tier riders for Yamaha. That's going to be good to see how that goes next year. But uh, Gordo, to get to next year... We still have to get home from Australia. And uh, I'm about to head to the airport, head to Melbourne. You've got a big day ahead of you. You've got a lot of deadlines for end of season. Yeah, I've got a couple of books to do. Uh, I've got a season review to do. I've got stuff to do for my regular uh, British magazine, Bike Sport News. I need to get all that done. Sorry, it's not all there yet, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Um, I will get it to you. And um, yeah, no, I'm quite busy. I'm spending another day here on the island in a house uh, working away. Then tomorrow we shoot up to the airport, drop the car, go to the glorious environs of the Ibis Budget Hotel in Melbourne Airport for another 24 hours sitting in a chair, smashing words out of the park. And then I fly home at 4 o'clock on Wednesday. I get home at 5am on Thursday. That'll be nice. That's a long stint down here. I am going to give a big plug to one of your books for the winter, Gordo, Motocourse, because it is effectively the Bible. All of us get it. It's one of the it's one of the few things that I'm always willing to pay for, and uh, considering I'm decked out in free clothes right now as we as we speak, um, I I always love motocourses. It's one of the things I always look forward to picking that copy up or, or getting it delivered in the the winter, and it is always a great Christmas present for any motorbike fan. So uh, I'll always I'll always be keen to read what you've got to say about superbikes. Obviously, Chippy Woods pictures in there as well, and uh, Chips uh, Chips one of the the ever-present photographers in the paddock and uh, one of the hard workers. So it's always nice to open up Motocourse, go straight to the Superbike section and uh, read what you've got to say and uh, then have a look at some of the Chip's pictures. No, I mean, I've been buying Motocourse since uh, I first got interested in motorbikes. I don't come from a motorcycling family. It was all my kind of own thing. Um, and, and in the good old bad old days, I used to go to Glasgow every weekend before Christmas because you're never sure when the book would literally turn up in the days before Amazon and stuff. And I'd go to Smith's, not WH, but another Smith's big bookshop in the centre of Glasgow and literally see if it was in. You know, you'd ask them to keep your copy and everything else, but you know, that's how I used to do it. And event, when I did get it, it was just like straight home and pile into it. So, just out of curiosity, Gordo, what's the first thing that you you look at when you get the copy this year? 
I never look at my own stuff anymore. I never even read what I've written. Once I've written and sent it, I can't change it. It's almost the same for my magazine articles. What do I do? I know it's... I'll be honest, Gordo. I've sent a lot of stuff that I'm sure editors think I don't even read after I've uh, tried <laughs> tried writing this. Um, no, I, I generally look at the glory of motorbike racing and all these beautiful photographs. That's generally what I do. And it's always a very clean, readable design. I can't say I read every word. But that's because I'm not a fan whose only outlet is things like that in magazines and the very occasional time that racing used to be on TV. There's a lot more ways of consuming motorbike racing now. And because I'm in it, the, I don't read as much as I, I used to. I used to read every magazine I ever got, cover to cover. Well, you don't do that when you're working in the industry, effectively. This is a job. This is a, an industry we're working. But every time I put a, get a motor course, I go through it, have a look at a couple of things, see what pictures I've used. Um, read some of the GP stuff and the BSB stuff and the Elman stuff that I, again I've not been at um, but every year it's like it's a ritual almost you, you can take one book off the, 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 the bookcase and add your motocross on the end you know and I've now luckily got all of them I managed to get all the ones full factory Richie full, fact, full factory Richie in the only way that I may be full factory I can't say all the dust covers are okay and some of them I actually bought a couple off of, I think three I bought they're really difficult ones to get off a photographer one of the original motocross photographers called Maurice Buller who's sadly no longer with us a Swiss guy and he took his motocrosses to Checo when I was doing MotoGP as well uh, and I saw him and he wanted X amount of money for them, and I just bought them there and then. I had to find a way of getting them home. Three great big water courses, and I think it was... The, the Sheen ones. One Barry Sheen and two Kenny Roberts, or vice versa. Maybe two Barry Sheens and one Kenny Roberts. But they were the more difficult ones to get, even at that time. And uh, they weren't cheap, but they were also, you know, when you could get a complete set, it's just cool. I mean, and even, even someone like Stuart Higgs, every year, when he does his motor courses, he sticks the thing. He, he always say another one to the pile or whatever. He's always talking about it. It's 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 one of those things that connects you to the history of the sport. So you can consume it in a million different ways now. But in the past, if it wasn't on the telly and it wasn't in a magazine, I used to go and get my motorbike racing and that great big book, big glossy book, which is still basically the same design. I have to say, for me, I've got everything from the MotoGP four-stroke era on, and quite a few random ones before that. But I've got all the all the auto course ones. I was about to say the F one ones. All the auto course ones from I think ninety one onwards as well. Uh, one of the Senna ones, and uh, then some of the other ones. But uh, I have to say, it is always something that I look forward to. I go straight to the top ten list to see what uh, Michael Scott has to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's it's always interesting because there's always one or two in there. You go, really? You know, but but the person next to you might go, oh, not him, him. So everybody does, everybody loves a top 10 in a way, you know, they do. Um, so yeah, you do have your disagreements with it about really him, but he's not scared to mix it up, Mike. I'm going to make it easier for you on this one, Gordo. Top five from the Superbike paddock, all classes this season. Who, who are you running in that? I think because of the willpower required and the, and the self-belief required, it's too easy to say Batista, but I've got to say him because he didn't make any mistakes bar Donington. Even when he got knocked off in Magnicure, he was angry, but he didn't let it affect him. He didn't get inside his head. He just came out again the next rounds and, and batted him out. When he needed to perform, he did. You can't ask any more. Um, so yeah, Batista at the top, I think... Uh, I'm tempted to say top rack, but I think if you're looking for the second 
on that list. You've got to say Agatha. If we're going cross classes, you've got to say Agatha. I mean, that you can't. It's almost perfect. It's incredible. And there's lots of people out there with basically the same package as him. And how many times did he, at the end of the race, when he just had to bring more of himself, make the difference? He's not got a 20 times faster bike, or remotely faster bike than Baldassare. Yeah, he's got maybe a little bit better aerodynamics because he's a little bit shorter than him. But he took on a lot of like-for-like like things this year and absolutely trounced everybody. So I could put him second. I guess for pure talent, you've got to put top back in there as third. I think Jonathan is the best racer we've ever had here in terms of his all-round ability, but he did make some mistakes of his own this year. Mostly brought on by some degree of inability of his bike to do what he wanted it to. Kind of like last year, but not as profound. But yeah, there was still a few more, a few two things. He handled it really well, but I think he did literally himself just, again, just override a bit too much sometimes and make a mistake here and there. His bike did make mistakes for him. And their setup wasn't great this year either, some places. Uh, number five, this is where it gets difficult. The number five of all the classes is, is a difficult thing to say. Do you go with Diaz? Very impressive and consistent in 300s. Yes, I think he didn't win quite enough races like some of the other riders that have in their championship winning years but in terms of getting the job done being in that position and I remember he wasn't even really guaranteed at the end of last year to be here to even be in that championship because they did a, like, literally half the grid that, that for this season there used to be 50 odd of them and now it's like a sensible 26 or whatever it is um considering where they started and now it's a small team and everything else yeah you could yeah, I mean if, you, if we're going to Name check the champions, I'd say definitely Diaz. The, fi- the fifth rider, if we're going back to the Superbike guys and stuff, it just gets incredibly difficult. Two points between Locatelli and Lowe's. Rinaldi, brilliant one week. Where was, I mean, I mean, I've got lots of time for the wee man. He's come up the hard way and all that. I've got a lot of respect for him. Where was he this weekend? I mean, when his teammate was winning and being there, he was, just, you know, he's just kind of nowhere. Um, you know, I mean, it, it just wasn't one of his weekends. I don't understand that inconsistency in a factory team. I don't get it. Um, when, especially when the other guy's winning and, and he can't use the thing of oh Scott's really tall and Chaz is really tall uh, so if he could eradicate those things you'd put him as five but this year yeah I, I, that's a coin toss for me if you're talking about only the Superbike guy so yeah we'll go with Diaz because he was a very impressive championship win sorry that's great stuff Gordo and uh, we'll obviously be back for a Paddock Pass podcast world SBK season review we'll have Charlie Hescott back for that one and uh, we'll be able to get Charlie's thoughts on a thrilling season as well but uh, we'll let you get yourself back Gordo you got your, your deadlines to meet and uh, I need you to get your motocross stuff done as soon as possible um, but it's been another great season for us a lot of fun covering superbikes we're covering the best year imaginable really the racing is just fantastic all the way through and I always think we're very lucky whenever we'll look back at uh, this last two three seasons and just think you know what we've got a really good set of regulations really good riders the depth of field we have it's as good as it's ever been in the championship and you know like I said in 77 days from when we're recording this the freight's going to be packed it's going to be shipped out to Australia and uh, soon enough you'll be put into your into your cargo as well Gordo and uh, you'll be you'll be bought out Unfortunately, my cargo is an economy seat at the back of the plane, which is uh, which is the only bad thing about this job is when you do long hauls, it's always exciting to get in new places and everything else. Economy, for a big lad like me, is no fun, but it's the only way you do it, so you do it.
I have to say, my my bus to boat to bus to plane oh. to drive Indonesia. to in, Indonesia yeah, to Australia. Yeah. I, I think I think the flight home is going to be easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean the, the the fast boat thing was a bit sketchy, but it was great fun. I'm glad I did it. I might not want to do it again, but uh, the whole the whole getting here was just complicated, super complicated. So many flights cancelled and everything else. It was it's been one of the most difficult years, but I think. It's all st- when you have to do it, you have to do it. So it becomes a state of mind thing. You just stop worrying about it after a while. I've been doing it long enough now to just not worry about it. I have to say, like for me, if I was if I was on a holiday and I was going from Lombok to Bali, it's the only way I'd want to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But whenever you're coming down for work, it's a, a little bit different. But when you come down to Phillip Island, we've racing like we had Monday. I, I don't remember. It's light years ago because we've had so much to talk about over the weekend. Yeah, and just to, just to underline how things have been here, it's raining again. It's the, we thought we'd rained out Phillip Island. The, the front lawn in our little rental house is now generally under three inches of water. You can, the, the grass is now being drowned. It's ridiculous. I've, I've never been to Phillip Island when it's been this bad for as long. And uh, it's definitely not going to be like this when we come back in 15 weeks' time. But uh, one thing that is going to be consistent is uh, we'll be sitting around, cup of coffee, chatting about World Superbikes next season as well, Gordo. But if you want anything to keep you up to date over the winter, on patreon.com forward slash panic pass podcast, we're going to have a lot of content over the winter for all of our Patreon supporters. Obviously, for all of us on the Panic Pass podcast, big thank you to Renthal Street and to Fly Racing for supporting the pod all the way through this World SBK season, the MotoGP season as well. And we'll be bringing you content all the way through the winter winter as well it's a it's a never-ending and shortened winter as well at the same time and uh, it means that uh, we'll be back testing in a couple of weeks january for world superbike tests MotoGP tests over the winter as well so there's going to be plenty to discuss over the course of the next few months this episode of the paddock pass podcast was produced by jensen beeler david emmett steve english neil morrison and adam wheeler it was edited by brian burnett music is provided by the liberty all inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com. Okay, man. Can I steal your pizza? Can I steal your pizza for lunch if you don't have lunch? I don't know if you steal the... Yeah, maybe it's okay. The, the, the other one, the new one. Thank you, man.